nomine Patris et Filii Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, hominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus nunc, et anor mortis nostre. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, laudetu Jesus Christus. In secula. This is Timothy Flanders with The Meaning of Catholic. You are listening or watching the Terror of Demons morning show with Kennedy Hall. How you doing, brother? I'm living the dream. I'm actually out of coffee this morning, so I'm drinking some Yorkshire Gold Loose Leaf Black English Breakfast Tea. Oh, wonderful. Uh, purchase yours today, this uh, link below. Just kidding. Uh, I thought you usually have espresso. I thought you were Italian. I you had some kind of Italian espresso. I uh, I go back and forth. So I've been into, uh, I used to work in cafes growing up. So I'm kind of, a, I'm not a snob. I'll drink diner coffee if it's available, but I like different types. So I go back and forth between the mocha, which is a stovetop percolator for espresso and French press. That's kind of my favorite back and forth. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah we have a, we have a French press, but uh, I do like the espresso. I have a Dominican friend <clears throat> who comes to visit sometimes and he's, he's always got his espresso with him. Like a priest or from Dominican Republic? No, I'm sorry, from Dominican Republic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a if uh, there's any uh, if any Dominicans are listening, the famous Dominican folk song about coffee is "Ojalá que que hay café en el campo." There you go. Oh yeah, yeah. right on. Okay, shout out to our, all our friends from Dominican Republic. So it's uh, five thirty a.m. on the Eastern Seaboard of the Americas. Generally, we have uh, a number of Australian viewers in this morning, uh, but shout out to all of our American viewers at this time. Welcome to the Trinity Sunday, week of Trinity Sunday, which is the first week after Pentecost. This is uh, a big week in the church, bringing us to the season of after Pentecost. Once again, liturgyofthehome.com. Yeah. This is the uh, calendar for this Man, week. It's beautiful. And uh, stay tuned for more news on Liturgy at the Home. Liturgy at the Home is working to get published, so please support them yes. in this important endeavor. So, the, so, yeah, so we have Trinity Sunday. We have the Queenship of Mary today, St. Angela Mer Merky, uh, Merici, sorry, uh, Fairy of Paschal. And then we have the Great Feast of Corpus Christi, and I'm going to talk a second about the Crusade of Eucharistic Adoration, Eucharistic Reparation, mm -hmm. uh, Great Feast of Corpus Christi. Uh, what are y'all doing in Canada? Are you able to do any sort of procession or what are you going to do? Well, uh, it depends. I mean, in theory, you're not allowed to have a public gathering over five people outside and you're supposed to be six feet apart. Um, so obviously that's not enforced against anyone except for Christians. <laughs> um, so they're going to do, um, we have limits on like how many people can be at a church at a time. So basically what they're doing is we're just having 40 hours devotion of the Eucharistic adoration. And then um, <clears throat> everyone has the uh, option to sign up and spend time in adoration before the Corpus Christi, which is nice. Um, we're in limbo right now. Um, we Any minute, they'll the next phase, depending if they're happy with how many people have been injected with the medicine, um, the next phase will allow us to have unlimited outdoor masses. So we're waiting for that. That could happen any moment. So as soon as it does, our priests will be like, tomorrow morning, mass, come one, come all. So we'll see. Excellent. Okay, yeah. great. I also yeah. wanted to uh, make mention here, 
so there's um not on this calendar because it's the this is on the new calendar, but the St. Charles Lawanga mm. and Companions <clears throat> is a very important saint. And that's because the especially because of the month of June dedicated to the Sacred Heart. Humility is, Month. What was that? It's humility month. It's humility month, yes. Humility right. month. Uh dedicated to the Sacred Heart because I just want to give an appeal, especially because in this month, the are are many Catholics, you know, the the infamous James Martin or others may promote the the so-called Pride Month, which is a if you don't if you're not aware of it, Australian viewers, hopefully someone has been spared from this. Maybe I don't know, but they are. They are. Um, this is a month in which those who self-identify with their own temptations by using labels attempt to rationalize their temptations and their their unnatural behavior and this is particularly important that we ask the sacred heart of jesus to speak to these people because many of them are deeply wounded and that's the reason for their behavior and so we need to really ask the sacred heart to speak to them and we have we have saint charles lawanga who is a great martyr against these temptations he was he was attempted to be forced by the king i think it was uganda if i recall uganda yeah uganda okay so he was forced he was trying the, the king was trying to force him into an, an unnatural act and he chose to be a martyr with his companions against this wickedness and so courage international people don't know this because saint uh, james martin writes in his book about how much the catholic church hates these people which is absolutely false courage international has been going on for decades mm-hmm it is um, CourageRC.org. That is the apostolate to people with same-sex attraction. And it is is a, a wonderful apostolate that was founded by, um, I believe it was John Harden. I can't remember if it was. Was it Father Harden? I don't remember, actually. I don't, it was some good priest. Oh, here it we go. a good priest. Um, so, yeah. They, oh, uh, Harvey. I, yeah, I confuse them. That's I get right. them all confused. So. Uh, John Harvey, but it, it's a good, this is a good organization. This is an apostolate that's just helping people with same-sex attraction. It's done so for years and mm-hmm. it, it, with great mercy and compassion and patience. And this mm-hmm. is, this is an affliction that takes years to overcome and it's very difficult. And many of these people are deeply yeah. wounded. So yeah. we need to be sensitive to that and, and we need to speak to them. If, if we know anyone like that, we need to speak with them with great charity and mercy and we have St. Charles Luanga in the in the month of June, which I don't think is any accident, um, mm-hmm. for this sake. So we need to pray for this intention, especially as it gets pushed upon us by the Marxist liberators that we have, uh, because we we actually want to liberate these people. We actually want to actually love them and and save them as much as we possibly can in our power by prayers and sacrifice and reaching out with charity. So just an appeal to. Um, everyone all the viewers for this intention very important intention um but that's any go ahead kennedy no i I wasn't going to say anything i was just agreeing with you okay so we've got saint francis caracciolo and saint boniface with his axe of course his famous chopping down the tree of thor so uh (laughs) kennedy can you tell us what's uh what do you have coming in your life that you want to share? <laughs> uh, stay tuned. We may or may not have something big coming from the Crusade channel with uh, Mike Church, uh, 
that's yeah we don't have details yet but we're trying to get something off the ground um so i've had a lot of people ask you know kennedy do you have a patreon are you going to do whatever i don't know i've just never i have one but i've never really promoted it just uh so if people want to support me uh in a potential new professional endeavor that again still in the early phases but just given the meaning of catholic audience a little teaser let's say Stay tuned for a uh, potential new show on the Crusade channel. And if people would consider signing up, we need to get, we need to get numbers. Um, and if we get those numbers, it can be a go. Um, so stay tuned for that. And I'll just keep talking about it every time we're on the air. Okay, great. So, so be a conservative, conservative Catholic. Well, it's not, not a, we don't call it officially Catholic radio um, because there's a whole, uh, well, there's a if you start to call something Catholic radio, Catholic TV, there's actually uh, hoops you might have to jump through, which is one thing. But also, it's just um, Mike Church has a vision, and I and I believe in his vision, where um, basically, you know, the world is full of talking heads <laughs> and political, and 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 let's be honest, you know, in our culture today, where you're going to reach people um, if you're trying to reach them with religion. Well, probably you're going to have to engage on the um, political sphere because, and for most people, that's kind of the only place they'll engage moral questions, um, which is why it's, you know, yes, politics, religion, they're not the same thing, but politics is essentially ethics applied to society. That's kind of what the definition is classically. So ethics, obviously, you know, even the founders of America as, as anti-Catholic as they could have been, you know, uh, was, was John Adams said, um, the constitution was made for a moral and religious people. You know, that's right. a reality of, of politics. Um, same thing here in Canada. You know, it's, it's a, it's a Christian common law government is what it's supposed to be. And when it's not a Christian nation that the government acts insane. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> my church has a vision and I agree with it. He's trying to rebuild Christendom as he says. And obviously that's a grand, you know, it's <laughs> a grand endeavor, but in little pieces, right? So he just had his conference, um, about a month ago, three weeks ago, which was like, uh, the idea was, you know, um, uh, to practical ways to rebuild something like a Christendom in your own community. They had people from all over the country and in the United States that had businesses, they're getting together and making business associations and just like doing this, let's support each other. And it's not just about Catholics. Now, hold on. People are saying, wait, are you getting all ecumenical? You sound like spirit of Vatican too. No, I'm just kidding. So, but the reality is, 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 and again, I agree with him on this. You know, because uh, I'm living under this great tyranny here, and there's been some tension amongst uh, some Catholics about how should we go about this. Because, for example, you have a um, you have the evangelicals and stuff fighting to keep their churches open. Well, obviously, I can't advocate for religious error, so I'm not going to go say freedom of religion per se. But if my evangelical neighbor is saying, "Hey, what the government's doing to us is wrong," we should resist that. I'm going to say, I agree with you on that. So let's, let's try to figure out a way that we can go after the same enemy and then we can work out our differences after. That's kind of my approach. Um, I think personally, it's an approach that we've seen in Catholic history, um, depending on where the Catholics were and depending on who they were persecuted by. Um, and that's what my church believes as well, because, you know, again, we're, politics is almost like a football game. You know, it's like, can we get the ball down the field a little bit? You know, it's like at a time. That's all we can hope for. Um, so the Crusade Channel, 
is a way of injecting Catholic truth into conservative talk radio. Um, it is Catholic explicitly insofar as the people on the shows and everything, but everyone is welcome to listen and uh, guests that are not Catholic appear all the time to talk about things that affect us all. And we're hoping to get a new show, um, which would be a great professional opportunity for myself. And we want to keep growing the Crusade channel and uh, and expand it. So stay tuned for that. Um, and we'll have details on how that's going to work. Yeah, so we're trying to support the Crusade channel because of Kennedy and because we're all allies in this fight. We have one fight as Catholics. And we're going to talk uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Crusade for Eucharistic Reparation. Then we'll get back into our Fatima series. Right. And that's exactly ties straight into what you just said because the ecumenical movement as a whole, good and bad, received a big boost during World War II because. Yeah. Catholics and Christians and Protestants and, you know, what have you, were all targeted by these various regimes, communists, Nazis, whatever. Right. And so they realized that there was somewhat of a bigger enemy. And at least we could uh, we can debate about Sola Scriptura with a Protestant. And I'm all we're going to debate about that. That's fine. But we are going to go shoulder to shoulder against right. Uh, an anti-Christian force, anti-God force. Yeah. I'll, I'll do up, shoulder to shoulder with you. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, will you pick up your pitchfork with me when the Mongols come into our neighborhood? Thanks. Like, we don't have to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We like, don't have I'm to. happy to go with you. We don't. We can talk about theology later, but they're, they're going to take our home. So let's try to figure that out first. Yep. So, yeah. so yes, Crusade Channel. Uh, <clears throat> where do I go to subscribe here? Subs looks like we go subscribe up subscribe. here. And you can and sign up for a free month as well. But wait month, until... Yeah. Well... <laughs> Yeah, so wait until uh, well, you can subscribe whenever. Please go support the channel. <laughs> but um, when uh, when we do launch it, hopefully it'll be a specific code for my name and the new show okay, and stuff. Great, so, but great. yes, but sign up anytime. Um, it's a it's a great show. I mean, Mike Church he started, uh, I believe, he's, he's I be an excellent radio personality. <laughs> he is, and I believe he was the first major show on the Patriot XM station, which is a bit like Sean Hannity and stuff are on there. And then eventually he just decided he wanted to do something like, again, one of the problems with conservative talk radio ultimately is like, take a guy like Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson's great. Tucker Carlson's not a Catholic. So every once in a while, he'll say something that it's just like, eh, you know, in your pro-life argument, you just said contraception's an option, whatever. It's like, well, we can't say that. Or you just, you're really religious free to me in the sense of like the enlightenment understanding of it. You know, it's like, well, we can't really promote that either. Or, you know, the point is you get into the, you get as, as conservative as these guys may be, that guy like Rush Limbaugh, every once in a while, you're going to go, eh, you know, that I couldn't, I couldn't support that, you know, and, or <clears throat> whatever. So the, the idea is um, not every, like I've hosted the show a few times and <clears throat> not everything I talked about is Catholic. It's just true. So I, you know, talk about morals and how to deal with your community whatever political things going on but it's from a catholic perspective yeah this is really great i love the practical stuff because yeah. there's so many catholics talking about either and this is not to disregard or, or dismiss anything that they're doing but it, we need to talk about the controversy we need to talk about certain things and whatnot but there's a point where we can get so caught up in so many abstractions that right. we we lose just okay what do we do practically what do we need to actually do to build there is a thing called the lay apostolate now yeah. at meaning of catholic unfortunately 
we have to shoulder as lay people, we have to shoulder a great burden yeah. of the spiritual order because lamentably many priests or bishops are not teaching the faith. And yeah. so as lay people, we have to rise up and shoulder a burden that is not ours to carry. We don't want to carry the spiritual order burden. We don't no. want to have to preach the gospel in, in sort of a public sense, preach the faith in a public sense. We just want to, we just want to raise our children and, and build our community. That's the lay apostle. That's the lay order. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But because we're in this situation, we have to shoulder more. Um, so we would love to, uh, you know, pass on that spiritual order completely to all the bishops. Yeah, that'd be great. And we'd then we Catholic. can just build the Catholic city, you know, and work on all these practical things. Yeah. Um, so, but it's a difficult thing. So, but I love to get into the practicals and so much of that. But speaking of all this, this goes into the, the, the first topic we're going to talk about, which is the crusade for Eucharistic reparation. I wanted to talk about this because we have the great feast of Corpus Christi this Thursday. And it is, you know, I'm not sure if the 1962 has an octave, but it does traditionally have an octave. Um, and so then you have the Sunday. I'm not actually, I want to, I don't have my missile. I always want to grab my missile, but I don't have it. I'm plugged and everything. But um, there is, uh, we're doing the procession on Sunday. Mm. Uh, thank God we have enough uh, freedom to do that. Um, but to, offer reparation this is also a first friday so it's the first friday right. coming up and first saturday That's right. um so i linked below the the conversation i had with kwashnevsky dr kwashnevsky he wrote this book the holy bread of eternal life and these are all of his many reflections on the problem of eucharistic profanation Mm. and eucharistic abuse and liturgical abuse and there's so many different things that have gone on and many people have experienced a spiritual or liturgical abuse as they've grown up as children or as an as adults and lamentably they there seem to be many clerics who do not believe in the dogma of the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and once again, this is the spiritual order that we have to shoulder as lay people at this point, because the past year, the somewhat, <clears throat> it seems to be the worldwide episcopate shut down the sacraments as non-essential. And so now we're living in this situation where it, it seems by all appearances that so many shepherds believe that the holy sacraments are non-essential. They may or may not believe in the dogma of the real presence. And so many people are not acting like it. And it and it's so lamentable because this is an offense to God. And we need to be fired with the zeal to give God his due in justice that is due to him as God, that is due to Jesus Christ in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist. Yeah. This, and, this whole yeah, this this whole last year, man, like because we just had our uh, well, the diocese I live in, I actually go into mass the next diocese, but they just extended the dispensation till September. But Catholics in here have not had a Sunday obligation since last March. So year it'll be a year and a half. Um, the church, like there, I don't, I you know what? To be honest, I'm there are there are enemies of mine who watch this to to try to bring me down, and they're part of the diocese. I couldn't care less. They're committing suicide. The diocese is committing suicide. I don't know. Pray for the bishop of the diocese of London, Ontario. He's the kind of bishop who's on life side all the time, not for good reasons, put it that way, you know. Um, 
And um, they just don't, I mean, anyone who's married, for example, you know, you'll, you'll get that uh, statement from your wife every once in a while. And they're like, well, if you actually cared, you would have done X, Y, and Z. And you kind of go, oh, she's right. I would have done X, Y, and Z. I was being selfish. Well, okay, that happens every once in a while. And you fix it. But if you don't, if you persist in that for decades, months, even years, it's like you clearly don't care. Like you you clearly don't care. You And as, with, as far as the, the faith goes, if you treat the Eucharist the way that it's been treated, you don't believe in it. You know, like I'm, I'm obviously, I can't stand there and say, I know what Jesus is going to say to one of these bishops as a particular judgment. But I'm saying if I'm looking at it, I'm going, what does this man believe? Well, I believe that he believes about this certain thing, the way that he's acting. That's what I believe, because that's all I can know. I'm looking going, it's been, you know, <clears throat> treated like a, a Eucharistic Pez dispenser for, for uh, you know, decades. There's no reverence. There's no modesty. There's no, the prayers are always the shortest ones picked. They forbid priests from even saying Mass ad orientum in this diocese, for example. Um, not even just Latin Mass. Latin Mass is tacitly allowed, but they haven't received that, that Latin Mass for about a year and a half because they're not allowed to commune on the tongue, and they have no plan of ever returning that. Um, they don't. Do they believe? How could I ever? How could I ever? For example, as a father, how could I ever take my child to one of these masses and say they believe that that's God? Yes, they'd be like, that's what? Exactly what, what? It. It's the children exactly. They don't believe it, and so the show me you believe it. it. Show me you believe it, and. <clears throat> As far as on the tongue and all this kind of stuff, it's like, guys, especially I'm appealing to conservative Catholics of goodwill. Stop justifying communion on the tongue, on the hand. Stop justifying it. It is. It was an invention of the Cramner uh, reformers and the Lutherans. Okay, go read a book called Cram Cramner's Godly Order by Michael Davies. It's an incredible book. It's like reading if you put the pages side by side. We're talking about. The destruction, we're talking about Catholics went to war with mercenary groups that were brought in to force them to accept the new liturgy, and they wouldn't. And uh, you, read, you, you look at the book side by side with, with the statements of this, let's call it the post-conciliar spirit, this idea of we're going to whatever. It's like you're reading something from the post-Vatican II era. I honestly did this one thing on Twitter. I said, is this Vatican II or an older? But people are like, I don't know. Yes, And it was all the reasonings why they would have, and it's all the lingo. Even the word, for example, sacra uh, sacramentally present, that's actually a, a, a modernist reformer word. We use it all the time, but the reason was it was a way of tricking people to think that they're, anyway. So my point is, don't stop, stop, stop accepting communion on the hand. It's not Catholic. It never has been. And even in the olden days, people say, well, there was times. Well, guess what? If the bishops received communion on the hand at the Last Supper, because they were bishops, Right, the apostles were bishops, so when they received it, it's the same thing that they put the Eucharist into their mouth because their hands are consecrated. Yours aren't. You were just cleaning a diaper in the changing room before you went up for for communion. And not, don't <laughs> yes. do that. Yes, I was. I was doing that. Me yeah, too. we and stay stay tuned. There's going to be a liturgy of the. I'm sorry. What is it called? Mass of the Ages. Mass of the Ages podcast, and I will be on that with Abby Johnson next week. With Abby Johnson? Yes. Oh, we'll actually be talking about community on the hand and also the historical assertions of, of yep. those who justify it as well. So we'll be talking in more detail about that. It's it's a little complicated. 
because there's historical I'll call it quote unquote precedent, but it's more yeah. complicated than that. So if you if you want to discuss that, we'll we'll we will talk about that too. Um and I want to emphasize here because many are wounded and when we're wounded by our fathers, we we are we're wounded, we're angry and I it, it's understandable and trying to work through this wound on an emotional level, spiritual level it's very painful. It's very difficult and it hurts our faith. It makes us question things. And many people are just struggling along, trying their best to work through this terrible situation that we're in. Uh, when we have bishops or priests who are dealing with this and it is very difficult because we want to, and yeah. we want to, we want to blame everything on them, which they, they are going to receive a lot of blame at their judgment, as you said. Uh, and we want to enter into an ideology. And this is what traditionalists get into. They get into this sort of this conspiracy theorist, um, this, this sort of echo room where they get into something where all they're, they're feeding themselves is sort of hatred at authority. Yeah, and and sort of they're, they're just sort of going on and on about how evil those people are who did this to us and they are evil and it's true and and all this is true and the difficulty is that it's not helping your wound it's not you're not overcoming the wound that you have you're you're stuck in an echo chamber and it's not your fault i you know i'm not blaming you or i who are you know we're just abused children you know this is abused children are, are just trying to work through the wounds that we have and this is a very difficult and delicate matter, but ultimately they will have their judgment, but we will also have our own judgment. And, and this is the, the most difficult thing here is that when we pray the, our father in, in the, our father in, I can't remember if it's St. Luke or St. Matthew, I believe it's St. Luke, but at the, when our Lord gives the, our father, he then explains the very next verse is unless you forgive men, their sins, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Yep. And that that's the difficult thing for us is that when we talk about the the evil among the bishops or priests, we ultimately we must before we die, because this is what our Lord says, we need to also forgive them and we need to have charity towards them. <laughs> and we need to reconcile as much as we can with our abusive fathers who are, you know, alcoholic, whatever fathers, whether our real biological fathers or our spiritual fathers. We need to reconcile with them in our own hearts so that we we can forgive them. Because what will yeah. what will we say at our judgment? Will will, will we will, will will God forgive our sins if we harbor un, an unforgiving spirit? And this is something that takes years. You know, this is something that's very, very difficult because we've been yeah. wounded. Yeah. So it's but ultimately this is also something that we must do as Christians. We must forgive our abusers, forgive our persecutors, forgive them. Because that's the only way to heal. That's the only way to get through and work through the, the difficulty and be whole again is to get out of the sort of echo chamber of just hating the bishops and hating the priests and all this. You know, we need to yeah. we need to really reconcile with Jesus Christ and reconcile with what his words towards us. I will us. say, um, it's like speaking to traditionalists, because everyone knows I'm a society St. Pius X guy, and like I will say to any any stripe of a traditionalist um if you make your like for example you know if you make your decision to go to the society for example just make your decision and just go and have be have a peace with it like um 
if you know that there's problems in Rome, just have you know that there's problems in Rome. Just have peace with it in the sense of, you know, yeah, you've made your decision. Um, just go to it and 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 that's all you can do. You know, so for example, I'll be listening to uh, or I'll be talking to traditionalists of <laughs> we got a child. <laughs> I'll be talking to traditionalists of um, various stripes and uh, they'll make their decision to sort of take the traditionalist position, but all the while they're still bemoaning what's going on with the clergy. And I understand it to a point, but it's like, just make your decision. You've made your decision that you are on your principle. You're going to stand on X, Y, and Z and say, I'm going to attend this mass or I'm going to, you know, not go to the Novus Ordo, whatever it is. Then just be happy about it. Obviously, hey, if something comes your way in your vicinity, you got to deal with it. But don't concern yourself with things that are beyond your control unnecessarily. There's always a balance there. I get that. This is a constant, uh, while well, it's a battle, especially as a father, it's like, how do I remain informed but not obsessed? You know, how do I know what's going on in the news uh, but not, cons you know, and that's that's not easy to balance because you do need to be informed relative to your occupation. You do, um, but there's too much. Um, can you, Tim, you have the authority here with the um, the administrator of the stream. Can you bring up that comment by Adam? It's um, from 558. Oh, 558. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I've been refuted. So this is, we'll move on to the other stuff, but this um, this is common. They'll say, well, there was evidence, and I know you'll talk about this more on that podcast with Liturgy of the, or Liturgy of the Ages or Mass of the Ages. But listen, if someone ever says to you, um, they used to do it in the early church, then just say, okay, then just do the whole early church. I'd love that. I'd really love that. So you're going to do public penance and you're going to not be allowed back into the church after adultery because it's like you've been, like, go do the whole thing. If you want to do, and really, the Novus Ordo was at the, the early church. Like it wasn't a, a, a Bible fest with a with a with a acoustic guitar. Like, if you want to do the early church, I will I will be there with you. We will be putting sackcloth and ashes. We'll be doing processions for plagues. We will be doing public penance. We'll be fasting two hundred and fifty days a year. Um, you know, <laughs> we will we will be martyred. Let's let's do it. And then if you want to have your super unicorn reverent communion on the hand after you fasted for six months and like had your hands anointed with holy oils or something and you lick your palms, fine. I'll be there with you. But do not pretend that this uh, banjo mass where you flip it around like a bloody coin in your hand has anything to do with the early church. That's hypocritical nonsense. Yeah, well said. That's exactly right. This is this is uh yeah we'll talk about this is antiquarianism that's what it is where you just you just cherry pick something from the early church which fits your own ideas today this is what the protestants did this yep. is what i talk about in my book is that they basically just took they took something that was and it was ancient in yep. some sense but then they just took <laughs> one part of it and then they they were impl they were able to use that to justify their own their own thing so it's just imposing their own view so that's exactly right um and and there's there, there's also innumerable as you made reference to just to just to um address this there's also innumerable customs and oral traditions that we don't even know about mm -hmm. that they were doing like you said licking your hand and whatnot and we have certain historical references to various things mm -hmm. but it's not even it, you know, they did their words communion on the hand in certain places, but we know for a fact that it was not like what communion on the hand is today. No. There's a strong difference between communion on the hand today and communion on the hand then. 
they also sat men and women on two different sides of the yeah. table. I mean, there's that. so many different there's so many different aspects. I mean, yeah. So um, but anyways, um the healing for spiritual abuse in our in our fatherhood, um healing for this. I really believe that um this is something I, I was gonna talk to you, Kennedy. Um is the the Callaway book. I truly believe that this book is a very important one as well. Okay. Um, learning to heal a, heal from spiritual abuse of our fathers by by growing, uh, getting close to Saint Joseph, and and growing, sense. getting near to him as a spiritual father because we're so many of us are fatherless, and just drawing near to Saint Joseph as a spiritual father, and <clears throat> when you when you read Holy Bread of Eternal Life. Uh, you know, Kwasniewski is is an excellent writer and a scholar. You know, he's very careful and has a, a great deal of practical wisdom and uh, scholarly wisdom and a great love for the Holy Sacrifice, a great love for Jesus Christ. And I think that we need to, if we want to take upon ourselves the crusade of reparation, <clears throat> what I'm talking about is a practical commitment that's very minimal, which would be which would be basically something like taking on a penance once a month on the first Friday as an act of reparation for Eucharistic profanation. It's something as simple as doing adoration one hour per month on yep. the first Friday, just for as for the rest of your life. Just something like that. Just saying, I'm going to offer up, you know, there's been so much desecration of our blessed Lord in the Holy Sacrament, I'm going to offer up just an hour of adoration every first Friday for that intention. Something as simple as that. It's very, it's very simple. It's not a lot. <clears throat> um, and that's, that's what I, that's what I call on viewers to take on and consider to do for Jesus Christ and to suffer with Jesus Christ because our Lord, our Lord came to us in the blessed sacrament to continue his passion because our Lord is our Lord was suffer. He suffered and was abused for our sake uh, in his passion and death because of his great love for us, yep. his great thirst to suffer and die for us, to show the proofs of his love. He did not just save us with something simple and easy and quick, which he maybe could have, Instead, he wants to show the proof of his love to suffer and die for us. And he he would rather stay in the blessed sacrament. He would rather stay in the blessed sacrament and be with us and suffer all the abuse that he suffers in the blessed sacrament than take his presence away from us. And so this is, we need to suffer with Jesus and offer up reparation because as men of God, we need to be zealous for the glory of God alone whatever gives God greater glory. And this is the zeal which needs to consume us as men of God so that when we celebrate the liturgy and we celebrate prayers and everything we can do, the first intention is the glory of God, the greater glory of God. And this is what really transforms us and transforms our families and transforms us to give to God his due. What is yeah. his due in justice? Is, um, there's this great line in liturgy, it's uh, Dietrich von Hillebrand's book 
liturgy and personality. And he discusses how the, the transformative power of the, of the liturgy is that the liturgy is concerned with the glory of God first and foremost, and that's it. It's just whatever gives greater glory to God and worships him. And that is what really transforms us because he says, if the liturgy becomes a pedagogical thing where mm-hmm. we're just trying to use the liturgy to help people, then it also, it actually loses its power yeah. to actually transform people. And this is what has happened in our, in the new, uh, you know, the new revised mass was very much intent made it with the intention of trying to help people, which is a good intention, but Road to hell. that's not what the liturgy is for. The liturgy is for giving greater glory to God alone. That's the first and foremost intention before all else. You know, and that's it, why we need to be consumed with the zeal for, for the glory of Jesus Christ in the blessed sacrament, the reverence, yeah. which is his due and to suffer with him. And to give glory to his great mercy and love that he would keep himself in the blessed sacrament and suffer with us rather than refuse his presence. So I'm calling on all viewers to make a commitment to this crusade for reparation, which is this cause, which I think, in my opinion, I think it really needs to be the cause, one of the central focus focus foci of, of the, the, the restoration of tradition, the restoration of our families is the blessed sacrament the dogma of the real presence which is i think this is one of the great the great phrases from vatican ii is the source and summit of our faith that i think that really is a great phrase and i'm not afraid to say this is for vatican ii because it's so perfect it's such a perfect way to say it. it is the source and summit of our faith this is what our fathers bled and died as you mentioned with cramner our fathers bled and died to keep this dogma and the Protestant reformers knew if they could just destroy this one dogma, they could destroy everything. And that's why the Council of Trent and the Tridentine Mass is so focused on protecting the dogma of the real presence. It is the source and summit of our faith. It, it, it sums up everything about being Catholic is the dogma of the real presence. That's why we're Catholic. That's why we're not anything else is because only the Catholic Church has the blessed sacrament. And this is the source and summit of our faith. That's right. Good. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm calling on all viewers to make a commitment. Do something for Jesus. Do something for our blessed Lord who is suffering in the blessed sacrament rather than take away his presence from us. He has been he's suffered and been abused and been mocked and scourged and spit upon mm-hmm. in the sacramental presence that he has debased himself to give us. And so this is why I make a commitment now do it let's do let's offer up this reparation for jesus christ because his his he is due the glory he is due the honor in this reparation so i'm not i don't know if i can i was gonna i'm just gonna do this right now because i'm gonna forget if we don't do it right now so there's this beautiful prayer at the end i'm just gonna offer this let's just offer this up as reparation and we'll talk about the post-war time briefly so this is the prayer of the crusade of reparation eucharistic heart of jesus i'm just going to do the the shorter version name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen my god i believe i adore i trust and i love you i ask pardon for those who do not believe do not adore do not trust and do not love you My God, I believe, I adore, I trust, and I love you. I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, 
do not trust and do not love you. My God, I believe, I adore, I trust, and I love you. I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not trust, and do not love you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think that uh, that's bringing us right into Fatima, because that's yep. what that's what Our Lady says to the children. He's, she says, are you willing to suffer and make reparation? Well, and I and think that's what we need to focus on to help help us heal from our own emotional wounds of our fathers who abused us and also help them because we, we need to offer up reparation and penance for their sake. And, the, and yeah. And the, and, uh, someone in the comments just said the first visits from the angel were about the Eucharist. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is when our Lord is being abused and crucified, he says, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so these are the, these are the, these are the things we need to do. We need to offer penance for the sake of our abusive fathers, for their yeah. sake and ours. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we, we've we've gone through so much, and we only have like 20 more minutes to go through, but because the post-war period is is so important, we're, I'm sure we'll continue next week to get more into it. Um, but this is the post-war time. Uh, we've gone through the, all of Fatima, and the, the children have offered up penance uh, the, you know, Jacinta and, um, so Lucia is still alive, but Jacinta and, um, what's the Francisco, Francisco thank you. Jacinta it. and Francisco offered up their lives because they died in the plague in the yeah. Spanish flu. And so there's been penance offered, but there was no penance. So world war two happened. We talked about world war two a couple weeks ago and, um, so God punished the world in world war two. And so what's what we've discussed a little bit was how the Marxist conspiracy of the Soviets and the Masonic conspiracy of the British and American empires joined forces against mm -hmm. the, as we said, the mass murderer and his axis, uh, the mustache man, uh, and those who were forced to ally with him or, or various, various things. But the, the biggest sort of cultural, social, political, economic thing about the post-war immediately was that fascism was completely destroyed and, and discredited. Yeah. And we've talked about how fascism is a complex movement because mm -hmm. there's, there's sort of uh, extreme wing of what we talked about. National socialism is not really true fascism because it's basically a pagan invention, yeah. but yeah. it incorporates certain elements of fascism, yeah. which are economically like corporatism, yeah. Uh, protectionism and that type of thing, like a nationalist economy where the idea that the, the nation, the economy is meant to benefit the people of that nation and not yeah. businessmen who are getting cheap labor elsewhere, which business benefits other people. Which it's simply a matter of, of yeah. the nation can protect its own borders and protect its own people and provide for its own people, including yeah. economically. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, after the war, fascism as a movement is completely discredited or destroyed. Well, put it this way, they, Mussolini was, uh, well, basically it was the American uh, intelligence that had him, they gave up his location to the Marxists in Italy. So, I mean, they had him killed. They, again, allied with the communists to have him killed. So when the communists are your buddies, you got a problem. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, so what the biggest thing about the, I mean, I think one of the most important parts about this, the post-war period is that America is at its height in power 
an influence yep. in the world. Yep. So the American empire was gaining its gospel of liberty after the first world war yep. and gained even more after the second world war. And as I, as I argue in my book, I argue that this moment is the Constantinian moment for the American empire. Yeah. Because not only is the American empire the, at the, at its height of influence in the world, but the Catholic church, in fact, is at its height of influence in the American empire. It's true. Polish and so in the 1940s and fifties, the American empire is not only exporting the jazz swing, rock and roll, uh, fornication culture, yeah. an economy of sin, but it's also exporting movies about Fatima yeah. and movies about hero priests and hero nuns. Yeah. And so Hollywood is actually churning out that are quality pro-Catholic Good films. Films. Yeah. And Fulton Sheen is at the height of his influence. He's yeah. got a primetime television show. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine. Can you imagine... Uh, somebody like Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, having a primetime television show with, with four channels on four channels with millions of viewers. Yeah. Like there were four channels on your TV and one of the four, he had the most viewers. That's crazy. Right. And the radio. I mean, like what's, uh, I mean, people don't watch television anymore. They watch Netflix, but I mean, what's, what's the most popular Netflix series that I don't, I don't know. know. I hate Netflix. So I don't Something even dumb probably. I, yeah. I don't know what the, what, cause I, yeah, I hate television. I hate Netflix, but whatever is the most popular thing today these the days, uh, you know, imagine some really good Bishop like Bishop Tyler or Bishop Strickland having a primetime show. I mean, can you imagine? No, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy for us to even think of. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, and that was when the Legion of decency, like we've talked about the Legion of decency uh, was a coalition led by Catholics. And this is like a good example of sort of a true ecumenism yeah. because the coalition, so basically, the, as we discussed, in the 1920s, they were making pornographic films. Mm. The Protestants couldn't handle it because they were too divided. So the Catholics rose up and they led the Legion of Decency to boycott Hollywood until yeah. Hollywood made good films. So this was also joined by various. So the Catholic Church led that. They were leading the cultural force in the American Empire as the Legion of Decency. But this was also joined by various Protestants and also Orthodox Jews. Yeah, because you had you had like the the liberal Marxist Jews in Hollywood. They were pushing the pornography, but then the other sort of Orthodox Jews who were in the minority in terms of influence in American Jewry, but they were still, you know, the pious Jews. They actually believe the Bible. Yeah, they actually believe yeah. the Bible exactly. You exactly. know, um, I remember um, talking to a, a Reformed Jew once, and the Reformed Jew said to me. Uh, well, nobody believes in the Bible. I was like, I know. what are you talking about? It's, it's, you don't I, believe in I, the Bible? I've gotten in trouble for this statement before from traditional Catholics who think I'm being, you know, a little wacky. But um, if you, uh, aside from Zionism and political differences, I'm just talking about, like, if we had a neighborhood, would I rather live in a neighborhood of, like, evangelicals or devout Orthodox Jews? I'd probably rather live in the neighborhood of Orthodox Jews. The reason is flawed understanding Again, politics aside, you know, trads, just relax. I'm talking about just like spiritual perception, okay? <clears throat> because um, fa flawed and failed, however, um, those who really adhere to the Old Testament as best as they understand it, um, 
they do seek to have the let's almost say ritualistic uh sacramental reality of of the, the liturgical life in all aspects of their life it's true they do so um it would be an atmosphere of fasting and feasting and festivals and um public display modesty and all these sorts of things it's kind of like being around mennonites you know i mean i've told joked before that if we ever have to i mean who knows if we'll ever get a visa to go south and lots of different things. So if we were, you know, if we're stuck here, <clears throat> we talk about all the time moving to Amish country. Uh, am I going to adhere to the Amish heresy? Of course not. But there's no modesty. There's no cell phones, whatever. Anyway, that's just what I mean. So when you think about, um, again, this is what we believe at the Crusade Channel, for example, right? Um, people of goodwill who are against the right enemy as best as they understand it. <clears throat> Back in the day of Allegiance of Decency, America was, uh, yeah, is America a Masonic country in some ways? Of course it is, uh, but Christians live here, so there. So um, there's a residual steam of maybe the Protestants don't have an understanding of how to justify because, hey, freedom, and I interpret the Bible for me, and like that's a problem. But in your gut, St. Paul tells us the natural law is written on every man's heart. So you're looking around, you're going, this is wrong. And that also applies to Orthodox Jews who Again, every man's heart. That includes, you know, every man who's created in the image and likeness of God. So they're reading the Old Testament and they're going, there's a reason why we have all these commandments. You know, like we can't just thumb our nose at God in public. So it makes sense that there'd be a tacit um, agreement against the proper enemy. And that's the place. And, you know, <clears throat> we go to extremes sometimes in Catholic thinking about politics. Um, you know, the one extreme is the liberal ecumenical, uh, Jesus taught forgiveness, so every sin is fine. You know, that's one of the problems. Um, on the other hand, though, it's like you look at the great Christian empires, there was always a level of tolerance in the true sense, meaning tolerating something you knew was uh, flawed for the sake of social cohesion, not promoting it, but tolerating that it happens and that you can't stop it justly, okay? Um, you know, weighing all the odds. Uh, and uh, collaboration. There was always collaboration. Um, so, you know, the story of um, Blessed Carl, you know, um, the Jews would say their prayers for him, and 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 one, Charles Coulomb tells a story, he's walking around one day, <clears throat> and a Jew turns his back to him, and starts bobbing his head and doing the whole thing, and the guy who was with him was a faithful Catholic, he's like, this guy's disrespecting, he goes, no, 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 that's them saying their prayers for the emperor, and the guy had no idea. Now, do we promote uh, uh, false religion? No, of course not. But that's a man who's devoted to the Catholic head of the nation. So you tolerate that because it's in the sense of social cohesion and the kingship of Christ. It's 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 geared towards that. So anyway, that's yeah. we have to understand it as Catholics. And this is this is a central understanding <laughs> that we need to understand so that we can understand the controversies that arise with Dignitas Humanae and Vatican II, because. There is actually a traditional freedom of religion, quote unquote. And what it is, is what exactly what you just said, which is a toleration in the private order, meaning that you can have your area where you do your religion, even if it's false. Yeah. Because we're going to tolerate that. And the rest of the public order is governed by the Catholic Church. So the Catholic Church is going to lead the Legion of Decency. The Catholic Church is going to lead society. And we're going to impose usury laws and anti-pornography law, whatever laws, et yep. cetera, et cetera. 
in the public order, we're talking about the economy and the politics and whatnot, but in your private order, your private area, we're going to tolerate that if we need to. And we're going to tolerate that. We're going to have peace with one another so that we can we can have a society in the common good. And this is what, this goes all the way back to St. Gregory the Great, which is where the Bishop of Naples in the, so this is the late 500s is when this is. So the late sixth century, Bishop of Naples was dealing with mob violence. People were killing each other between the Jews and the Christians. Yeah. And he said, Pope St. Gregory the Great, what do we do? And St. Gregory the Great made the public charter, which is called Secut Judeis, which is where the Jews can be tolerated and they have freedom of religion in their public order to do their own, their own Jewish rights and everything in their own Jewish area and have their own Jewish community and they'll be tolerated. Mm -hmm. As long as the public order, the public society is worships Christ the King and we have laws in place to protect the children, yeah. uh, blasphemy laws, anti-usury laws, all sorts of different things that protect the public order and protect the children. This is what St. Gregory the Great established and that this is the foundation of actual quote-unquote religious liberty yeah. in, in a in, a, in an actual catholic sense and these are the distinctions that need to be in place and this is why this gets co so confused because yeah. at this time post-war we're talking about the american empire and the american empire has a different understanding of religious liberty yeah. and their understanding as you mentioned so james madison way back in 1789 when they're ratifying the constitution the his idea is that we need to divide all of the sects of protestantism divide as much as much as possible and have as many sects as possible so that they don't ultimately become a One. bigger influence in society so that uh they don't divide each other and they don't try to establish something his his actual words in the federalist papers are let's let's you know there needs to be enough sex so that they don't rise up and oppress one another you know but his his idea of that is obviously the catholic church yeah. his, his 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 context of that is well we don't need to have the catholic church rising up because it, the context of the america is the history of england which yeah. is where they just had a total division of all other protestant sects and they couldn't yeah. figure it out because they're, <laughs> they're protestants and there's always this boogeyman called the Catholic Church, these pap papists who are going to take over. And so we finally, so the, the system was designed, the Constitution of the United States was designed by James Madison to actually, the, the no establishment clause, the First Amendment, is designed to make sure that all the sects are just divided against each other and we never have a problem with the, like the Catholic Church. But yep. now the problem is in the 1950s is that we do have a problem like the Catholic Church. Yep. And so the, the very system that was designed in 1789 is now having a problem because we've got this thing called the Catholic Church, which has multiplied. And, you know, all these papists are, are multiplying like rabbits and they've taken over society and we have a serious problem. And so the enemies of Christ, both the fallen angels and the elites, whether those be Jews or Masons or communists or what have you, they are realizing in the 1950s, we have a serious problem here. Because the Catholic Church has grown in such influence that the whole design of the American Empire to make religion a private matter and let the public order be be That's governed gone. by money and whatnot, we have a serious problem because the Catholic Church is hindering our profits. It, he's the Catholic Church is hindering our profits to make money on things like pornography and contraception, hindering our profits. You know how do we I'm, deal with this? And 
at the same time as that's happening, we also have post-war Europe rising out of the ashes of the Second World War and looking at America and saying, wow, they're, they're very Catholic. And they are. And they're seeing, they're thinking, people like Jacques Maritain are thinking, wow, you know, maybe we could actually try it like America because they're literally really Catholic. And so right. this is the context <laughs> for the yeah. Second Vatican Council. This is very important for us to understand. It's, it's difficult for us to understand because we're, you know, we live in this post, we live in the world of the unborn Holocaust. We live yeah. decades later and we think, well, these people were crazy to think that way. You know, they're, they're just lost in like the 1960s kumbaya. But I think we need to look at this sympathetically and realize that when you get out of the Second World War, you have this euphoria of being free from all the darkness and you, yeah. euphoria of being free from all of the bloodshed and thinking, wow, we can finally rebuild and rebuild a society. And then, wow, America's doing great. Like this is actually this could actually work. Well, I think to, um, I remember listening to Taylor Marshall talk about this on one of his, who was he talking to? Anyway, he was talking about like, uh, what was, what was Ratzinger's groups called? Like with the, the other theologians, he was like in the liberal Communio one. school. Pardon? Communio. Yeah. And the other one was, uh, Concilio. They yeah, they split off. That's right. The ones, one went super left, one went kind of centrist conservative anyway. But, um, an analogy I've thought of before is, I mean, meaning I just thought of it right now is, um, you know, imagine you grew up like the second world, first world war. If you're in that generation. Okay. So you're, you know, a bishop, of the second Vatican council. By that time, you're probably 60 or 70 years old. You're basically lived through both wars for the most part. Okay. Some of them were a little bit younger, but yeah, you, you probably lived, you probably were born like 1905 or something or, or not 18 something. I mean, you were old, uh, you know, you'd be very old now, but you were born at a time when you lived through both wars. And uh, it's kind of like, like veganism is crazy. Veganism is dumb, okay? Nothing wrong with eating the odd vegetable meal. That's part of fasting and stuff. But veganism is just an insane philosophy because it's basically pantheism. But, but if you grew up in a, uh, at a factory farm or in a society where all you ever had was fast food and hot dogs, uh, and uh, extinction of animals because no one cared about the forests. I mean, just think of the most evil, egregious outrages you could have against God's created order and the human diet, which is very important. Um, and you're just sick. Like, seriously, I mean, you're like, you have that, that documentary, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. The guy went from being dying in 240, eating hot dogs every day to juicing and losing 100, and, 100 pounds and being healthy and going to live forever. You know, it makes sense that that would be your response to being fat, sick, and nearly dead in the moral sense, okay? So after you've lived through this absolute carnage, absolute carnage, you've seen figuratively how the sausage has been made, okay? And now you just can't, you just you just want to be free from that. It's it's a wrong reaction. It's the wrong extreme. It's, uh, it's overzealous in the wrong direction. However, it makes sense psychologically that it would happen to somebody who's trying to be free of carnage. So you look at the, uh, also too, you can't underestimate the amount of propaganda. It's unbelievable how much propaganda has been going on about the Catholic church, even to Catholics from Catholics for about 150 years. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was trying to say how our ancestors were more moral than we were. Um, and they didn't, they did they wouldn't accept it. I was like, no, you don't understand. Yeah, like there were some guys, but from a practical perspective, 
we walk around with a with a database in our pockets of the most egregious and vile films you could ever see. It would make the Romans and the Druids blush at how immoral we are with their stuff. But they couldn't conceive it because they just believed that back in the day, they were so angry. They were so violent. They were so barbaric. And because there's obviously instances of that in history books. And I'm thinking we live, but we we now live in the most vile time in human history. As far as morals go, we live in the probably more, probably more immoral than the time of Noah. However, it's hidden. It's hidden and it has been hidden for a long time because it happens privately. It happens technologically and so on and so forth. So this is the context and a, a society that's been completely destroyed, wounded and propagandized. The result of that is the psychology of the Second Vatican Council, which is the Second Vatican Council may as well be called I mean, historically when we look back one day and whether or not they keep the council or they correct whatever they do with the council. It'll be it should be called something like the post-war council because that's mm. really the spirit that imbibes it, which the post-war uh, spirit in the world is which type of liberalism are we going to have? Freemasonry or Marxism, which I've argued with you before that, not argued against you, but with you, that I believe that, you know, yes, the Marxists and the Freemasons, they do unite on their anti-Catholic animus, but they are separate philosophies, just like the demons are separate demons. And um, and uh, we, we chose Freemasonry. The West chose Freemasonry. The East chose communism. And now we're seeing that Hegelian dialectic of masonry and communism play out again. Trump, in my opinion, was the Freemason president, which is why some of the things really good, some of them, oh, that's liberalism. Um, and the Marxists were not happy about that, hence why China and lockdowns and whatever. So, and Biden is clearly a Marxist. Um, so, you know, you, you, and before Trump, we had Obama, who was Marxist par excellence. He was literally trained in the Alinskyite school. Okay, before that, we had who Freemason uh, Bush, you know, like, you know, back and forth, back and forth we go and we all go around the merry-go-round. But that's the dialectic we've been living through. And the first world, second world war that after that, the world splits into two. The church chooses the Freemasonic spirit uh, and tolerates the Marxist spirit. And that's what we've been having to live with. Yeah. William Marshner, uh, I love him. He's, he has this great, um, great comment about Vatican II where he says Vatican II was not a change of doctrine, but a change of policy. That's right. It was basically the post. I think that was great. I'd never heard that before. Post-war council. That's, that's a great way to say it. Definitely post-war. And the church is essentially going to try sort of the American way. They're going to try it. And, and William Marshner says, well, what is our obligation when the church does not change doctrine, but change his policy? Well, he says, our obligation is to give it a chance. Yeah. And so we are obliged to give it a chance and we're going to, so what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is we need to look at Vatican II sympathetically as much as we can. Obviously we're not going to be, uh, you know, sympathetic to Hans Kung and his heresy, but you know, bishops of goodwill who went to Vatican II, like Fulton Sheen, Fulton Sheen's a great example. You know, Fulton Sheen supported Vatican II, supported, you know, ecumenism and all that. And he did it because you know, he was post-war trying to give it a chance. And I mean, perfectly, obviously, he was purely American. And he's trying, I mean, these bishops who are of goodwill, who are actually trying to do Vatican II, and they were doing some. so because they, they really believe that the American, you know, kind of American Catholicism is going to be the answer. Yeah. And we just need to understand sympathetically that we can understand why they would think that. It, it wasn't yeah. just totally irrational and totally crazy for them to just invent something like this 
there was a certain historical situation that would lead them to believe why that might actually be a good idea to try it. So we need to really think of this. And, and as we, as we've said earlier, just trying to reconcile ourselves with our fathers, with our abusive fathers or with our fathers who were led astray or whatever, or were naive, we just need to look at them sympathetically and try our best to see what they would have seen. And so that's why we need to look at Vatican II with that lens to be able to, distinguish because Vatican II is very complex and we'll talk more about it next week because we got to wrap up but there's so many different factors but this is an important factor I believe to to see this situation that we're in in 1950s and why that leads into the Vatican II so Kennedy any any final thoughts just finish because I see some guys I mean I I don't mean this in a denigrating sense but obviously some and in the chat you know some people are like, well, we've given Vatican II a chance. It's over. You know, I get that. Like, listen, I uh, I do public apologetics for the Society of St. Pius X. You know what's you know what side I'm on when it comes. Like, I've not had, but I but I believe that the traditional position, I believe that the traditional faith is the only way forward in a lasting sense. I believe that the experiment of Vatican II has failed. I know that it's failed. However, I know there are many people of goodwill who, uh, Father John, uh, he's he was on the rundown the other day with Mike from RTF and, and Ryan Grant and so forth. <clears throat> and he uh, is an amazing priest. He's actually Canadian from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, but he lived in the States and Italy and stuff after ordained and things. And he worked for the um, Ecclesia Day. So he was there in Rome when the whole Lefebvre thing happened. And he's traditional Augustinian and always somehow had the way of saying the traditional mass and he remained traditional, kind of a unicorn, amazing, amazing priest. And um, uh, he said there was a great sadness in Rome when what happened with Lefebvre happened um, by bishops who he said they were really, they had a blind spot. Their heart was traditional. They knew, they believed traditional things. They believed what was happening to Lefebvre was wrong, but they had a blind spot of thinking that the Second Vatican Council was great, like that that it was all hunky-dory and that everything was going to be fine. It was like they were divided. They were, Fulton Sheen at the end of his life was like this. Fulton Sheen, 1950, 1960, very different than Fulton Sheen, 1975. Go watch an interview with him on Firing Line with William F. Buckley, and it's very sad. Fulton Sheen sounds kind of like a liberal, but he looks tortured. You know, he's got these phrases of the church, you know, desires the bomb of mercy nowadays. And it's like, it sounds kind of cringe. Um, but again, we need to understand what's that we have to understand the psychology. So if you believe the traditional position is the way to go, why do you care? You care because you want souls to be saved. I don't want people to go to the Latin mass because I want them to be more into liturgy. I want them, that's secondary. I want them to go to the Latin mass because I want them to keep the faith. And I know that eventually the full Novus Ordo paradigm will effectively apostatize if it hasn't already. I don't want that to happen because I want my fellow Catholic to be, I want everyone to be saved. Okay. There we hope. I'm kidding. So, so if we're going to, to move forward, because we're the children of the war dogs. I'm. I was born the year that this that the consecrations 1980 happened. That's not my fight. I wasn't there. I know. I believe Lefebvre was correct. I've said this a million times. Uh, but now I'm living in the devastated vineyard of the Second Vatican Council. Okay. So now I have to find common cause with men of goodwill, 
not compromising what I believe, but saying, what's the way forward for this? It's tradition. Well, I need to make sure that I understand where that person's coming from. And that's what we have to do. So we're not excusing the Second Vatican Council's uh, promulgation of errors and so forth. What we're doing is understanding the psychology. Yeah, Patrick has a great comedy. We have to be aware of not getting hardened hearts ourselves. And that's that's what that's, that's what basic. we're trying to say here about really reconciling with our fathers who either abused us because they were malicious or they were maybe naive or they were trying to do something good. I'm going to bring out, as we discussed Vatican II, I'm going to bring out what I say in my book, which is all the good of Vatican II. Believe it or not, there's good of Vatican II. And uh, and it's it really hasn't really played itself out yet. And there's there's it's a complicated thing. There's good and bad in all sorts of different aspects of this. And it's far more complicated than most people are throwing around things on Twitter or whatever. There's so many different complex layers of historical yeah. instances and things that are going on. And so that's why we're, we're taking so much time on this series because there's so many different aspects to it. And there's so much basically ideology in place of history that people have been fed, whether on either side, whether you're on the side of new springtime or you're on the side of Vatican II PTSD and all this nonsense, you know? Um, so we need to look at it sympathetically, but also truthfully and be able to see, see the good and the bad together and be able to be able to live in the complexity. Cause that's the, the reality of, of the world are. and the history is that it's very complex. You know, there's bad actors and there's, yeah. there's so many, what's difficult is when we're reconciling with our fathers is that we want to idolize like John Paul too. We want to idolize people want to idolize John Paul too. He, I mean, he obviously canonized, but l even like St. Pius X or other, other p saints or popes who are good, like we talked about Pius XI, you know, there are missteps and mistakes and sometimes big mistakes that are yeah. made. And so we need to be able to reconcile ourselves with the truth and reconcile ourselves with our fathers and not have hearted hearts. So, yeah. And the only way to fix yeah. this is to go to first Friday and first Saturday. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah, make a commitment. Consider what you can do to join the crusade of reparation for the Eucharistic heart of Jesus. First Saturday. Do you have I resources mean, for that on the website for First Friday? What was that? Do you have resources for First Friday on the website? Uh, you know, I don't. I only have First Saturday. Okay, so, so I'll um I'll just put it right here um because it's on the Fatima website. Okay, great. Um, and I'll I'll put it in the chat. Maybe you can just put it in the uh, the chat right now, the show notes or whatever. Uh, this week is first Friday. Where is it? Where is it? You keep talking. I'll find it. Yeah. Uh, somebody says difficult to reconcile good and bad. We're not reconciling good and bad. We're, oh. we're, we're reconciling within ourselves so that our hearts are not hardened and hate, hate, you know, filled with hatred towards somebody like Paul, the sixth, who did a lot of erroneous or naive things. We might say as the yeah. best we could say it. Uh, but he also did some very, very great things, believe it or not. <laughs> and we'll talk about that as we progress. So this is the type of thing we just need to reconcile because we people want to demonize. This is, if I if I could reach Solzhenitsyn right now, I'd read from Solzhenitsyn where Solzhenitsyn says, we want to demonize people and just be able to vilify them. That's what gives it, makes us comfortable is that, you know, we can just say, this person is is demonic. You know, this person's a heretic. We can demonize him and blame him for everything. And then we feel more comfortable. But Solzhenitsyn yeah. says, in reality, the, the line between good and evil cuts through every human heart. 
and he so, said, and Solzhenitsyn said, we have forgotten God. This is why all this has happened. Right. So absolutely. Uh, so this is the, this is the difficulty we need to, we need to face as Catholics. We need to reconcile. <clears throat> what I mean by reconcile is simply come to a place of charity yep. so that you're forgiving your enemy. You need to forgive right. your enemy. You need to forgive your abuser. And I know it's difficult. It takes years because we're wounded, but this is what Jesus Christ has commanded us to do if we are to be Christians. And this is the only way out is the cross of embracing the suffering and forgiving our enemies. Good. So you, did you just send? Okay. It's in the chat there. Okay. Perfect. perfect. In our okay. private chat. So I will send this. I'm going to put this in the live chat right now, but I'll put this also on the show notes. So this is first Friday and everything. Yes. First Friday devotions, first Friday checklist. Um, as far as making a crusade, joining the crusade of, of Eucharist Reformation, there's no particular thing to do. It's just take on whatever penance you can yeah. and make a commitment to this crusade, to this cause. Um, so let's offer up in our father. Now that we've gone on and on Perfect. here, let's offer up another father, our father for all these intentions. We'll talk more about uh, Vatican II in the 1950s next week and continue mm -hmm. and um, talk more about Fatima and how we can see this through Fatima. And especially the message of Fatima, I want to emphasize, like we talked about, the, the importance of offering up our sufferings in reparation for sinners and, and asking for pardon for sinners. And this is the way of Jesus Christ from the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And so this is what makes us Christians. Ultimately, this is the great mark of a Christian is loving your enemy. And so this is what we need to do as Catholics to, to truly do this. So the, here's the, this is our intentions for the, our fathers is that we may forgive our enemies. Yeah. Let's pray. In nomine Patris et Fidi Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster, quies in celis, sanctificet non nomen tuum, adveniet regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et emitti nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimintimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Jesus is King.